And today I will preach to you the gospel of the second commandment, which reveals that God made us to worship Him according to His Word, that divine revelation of Himself, and not according to images that we may make of Him, our imagination of what God might be like. And as we consider the words of Hebrews 12, we see that when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the commandments, bringing us into a relationship of peace with our Heavenly Father, He also brings us into new covenant worship. The passage that we read in Hebrews 12 is found in the context of God's call to His people to persevere as they draw near to the throne of God in heaven. You can see that in Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 12. And then when we come to verse 18, we see that the Holy Spirit motivates us to endurance by highlighting what we have already gained in Christ Jesus. We are no longer in the situation that the people of Israel were at when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. But we are in a new situation as members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has already conquered Satan and death. And this has profound effects on our worship. And I preach you this gospel under the following theme, Christ carries his church into acceptable worship that was spoken of in verse 28 of Hebrews 12. We'll see that this worship is reverent, joyful, and eternal. In the second commandment, the Lord taught the people of God that we are not to make a carved image, any likeness of anything in the created world in order to worship the living God through these forms of created things. Worshiping God by bowing down to a golden calf That was a sin against the second commandment. In the second commandment, the Lord specifically mentions that He is our God. We read that together. He says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He is our God. There is a a personal connection. There is a, a relationship between God and His people. And if we ignore his instructions about how we are to talk to him, how we are to approach him, how we are to show our love for him, we ultimately showing our, are showing that we don't revere him. Maybe you can even compare it to, to a married couple where, where the man has to be called by his, his nickname, but his wife insists on calling him by his official birth name. And you could say, well, you're not respecting the wishes The Lord reveals His name to us and He tells us how He wants to be worshipped and love then dictates that obedience. If the Lord says that we cannot use images to worship Him, then that means that images are harmful to our relationship to God. And if we love Him, we will not want to try using images. The Lord tells us that He is a a jealous God. That's also in Exodus 20, verse 5. And with this, He means that he, He really wants to live in a peaceful, loving relationship with us 
without having anything getting in the way or, or distracting us from the salvation that he brings to us. God is jealous for our lives. He is jealous for our eternal satisfaction with him. He is jealous for our well-being. And so he invites us to enter into his holy and majestic presence as he has revealed himself in his word. And the second commandment shows us how the offer of eternal life with God is handed to the people of God from the fiery glory of the holiness of God Almighty. We see where this offer, where this grace is coming from. And the second commandment highlights that. The grace of God's promise of steadfast love to thousands of those who love Him and keep His commandments. It's highlighted by His warning that He will punish those who punish the iniquity of those who hate him. And Hebrews 12 also makes that very clear, that the same God who brings salvation is the God whose majesty, glory, power, and holiness are terrifying for sinners to see face to face. You can see that in verses 18 to 21 of Hebrews 12. So when God commands us to worship him according to his word. We should not imagine that he is a tame God that we can manipulate, nor that he actually needs our praise and worship. It is God coming down to us from his holiness with his grace. And everyone can learn from the divine revelation in the Bible that the Lord is a holy God, a God to be feared, a God who is majestic in his glory. And the Old Testament makes it clear that everyone who knows the Lord and loves him will want to worship him with reverence. We see that in the life of Christ. It's always good to see how Christ fulfills the commandment. You can go to the Gospels and you can see that. See what it looks like to obey the second commandment as a human. Our Lord Jesus Christ showed us that. And he worshiped God as God revealed himself in the scriptures. He worshiped God with reverence and awe. The Lord Jesus showed us that when we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we will desire to have that same attitude in our own hearts in worship. For he taught us to pray. He taught us the Christian desire when he said, Christians will pray, hallowed be your name. Now Hebrews 12 verse 29 says our God is a consuming fire. It's a God who manifested his glory in a very clear way at Mount Sinai when the law was given. If you read the first chapters of Deuteronomy, you see the majesty of God so clearly displayed That's the God we worship. That's the God that calls us to come before him with reverence. It's the God that makes us think about how we are coming into the presence of God. We see that we never want to be casual about entering into the presence of God. It's true that our status has changed in Jesus Christ 
who obeyed this commandment for us and in our place. There's nothing that we're going to earn. But God's holiness is the same. This will always have consequences for us when we draw near to Him in worship. We remember who we are. We remember who He is. And although our Lord Jesus taught us that we should reject a superficial, outward show of piety and all sorts of rules taught by men, you can read about that in Matthew 15, We know that also after Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the sincerity of our love is revealed in our desire to revere the Lord as He is, our holy and glorious King. And when we were singing those psalms, you could feel how the the Bible, the Holy Spirit was leading us to see His majesty, His royalty, His glory. Hebrews 10, verse 25 already made it clear that worship in the assembly of believers is set apart from the other activities of the week and the other meetings that that we have together. And now in Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, we see how the Holy Spirit is emphasizing how amazing it is to be hearing the word of the living God along with the spirits of righteous men, perfect with the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and even with those innumerable angels in festal gathering. Oh Lord, we pray as we see this, we pray may your name be hallowed also with our worship. And as the Holy Spirit leads us to desire to obey that second commandment through the through the preaching, through the reading of word, through the word, and through the singing of the songs, we can see that he makes us want to be reverent. Not because our parents have always shushed us when we were in church, nor because that's just our particular culture or the culture of the Reformed tradition, but because God is majestic. Our reverence is not a theatrical act. Our reverence is not a learned habit, something that we're just posing. But it's the only result possible for someone who knows the truth that the holy God himself is in our midst by his word and his spirit. We are gathered before his throne today with the express purpose of worshiping him on this day of rest. That makes us think, right? That makes us think, how did, how did we prepare for this day of worship? How did we prepare our children? How did we explain why they have to comb their hair today? My kids used to talk about their Sunday hair. What's the explanation behind that? Does reverence for God fill your mind, your heart, characterize your your attitude, your appearance? Have we shown our children and our and our neighbors how special, how unique this opportunity is? Isaiah 66 verses 1 to 2 serves as an excellent call to worship. 
As we're leaving our, our busy lives to gather in corporate worship, the corporate means all together as the body of Christ. Isaiah 66 verses 1 to 2 says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord is so holy that the blood of his Son, his only begotten Son, needed to be sprinkled, needed to be shed to make atonement to save us from the wrath of him who can shake the heavens and the earth and consume the world with fire. And yet we, you, I, we can come into his presence as dear children coming into the presence of our Father to hear his voice, to join in with the eternal praise of of all his saints. With justice there is always Mercy and so with reverence there is always joy. The comparison of Hebrews 12 makes it very clear that although both mountains give clear demonstrations of the majesty and the power and the glory of the living God, the difference in the worship of the church of Jesus Christ is seen in our restored relationship to this living God. The Catechism talks about dumb images. Dumb images are, are images that cannot speak. They're images, they're, they're static, they're, they're frozen. They, they, they don't adjust to the situation that we are in. They can never help a person understand what it is like to be living in the hands of our Heavenly Father who is walking with us on the journey of life. Our Heavenly Father is is more than just one created thing at one particular time in history. He is a God who is walking with His people. Our Heavenly Father then speaks to us not by images. Images don't help us to understand Him. But rather, as we confess, we need the living preaching of His Word. His voice coming to us in our situation as we are living our lives. Then we can understand who He is, what He is like. Then we can worship Him in a relationship, the relationship between the triune God and His chosen people. And when we come to see this, then we can see that we have a very good reason to be extremely joyful as we reverently bow before the almighty, holy, eternal God. Our fear and our reverence is not to be compared to the whimpering, groveling of a guilty criminal who who wants to slink away before a rule-bound, uncaring judge. But rather, our reverence, and we use the word fear, is to be compared to a child's respect for his loving Father's authority and wisdom and mercy. Reverence 
the joy that makes you want to get closer to God and not slink away. The barrier of the mountain that couldn't be touched and the impersonal manifestations of God's holiness at Mount Sinai, they are removed in Christ. And so the new situation in our new covenant worship, we we can talk about the darkness being replaced with the light. The angels we read are in festal gathering. Verse 22. The trembling mediator Moses is replaced by the victorious mediator Jesus Christ who was able to take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. Our meeting with God need not be completely focused on our own wickedness and our own unworthiness. For today, we know and believe that God's righteous punishment of our sin is completely absorbed in the blood of the mediator, Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. You do not need to see the holy, majestic God as a cold, wrathful, judgmental account keeper. But rather you can look to him through Christ as your loving, holy Father. Voices in your desire to have fellowship with him. Together with all the creatures who want to worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, new covenant worship is is shaped by the work of the mediator, Jesus Christ, who has obtained peace for all God's children, everyone who believes in him. And if you are one of those, you have peace with God. And when Christ fulfilled the second commandment, when he did what it said He also carried all who believe in him with him into the presence of the living God where we may praise him without fear together with all the angels, with with all the saints. And although Hebrews 12 describes our relationship with God and our neighbor at every moment in our Christian life, there is little doubt that the focus of this chapter is on our regular corporate worship since the speaking about an assembly gathered together to hear the one who is speaking. And as we read Hebrews 12, we are able to see what kind of worship our Lord Jesus carries us into and how every part of the worship services that that we are a part of even today, it's filled with with joy. Just think about the the order of worship. Think what what we do as we, we gather together. See the joy in every part, our eagerness to respond to the call to worship. We confess our sins in anticipation of the declaration of the forgiveness in Jesus Christ that we can do it joyfully. We reverently listen to God's word, see and feel how the Spirit is working it in our hearts and our minds. Our thankful Reflection on God's justice, His faithfulness, and mercy 
We do that all in our singing. And the Psalms really capture all those parts of who God is. Our active participation with our gifts. Cheerful givers. Joy, 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 joy. In Christ, it's all joy. It's festivity. It's praise to God for his indescribable gift. We, we are eager to be here worshiping the Lord. The Holy Spirit, as he leads us in this commandment, he, he leads us to want to be joyful. Not because we think that reverence and seriousness is a thing of the past, Sometimes we think in the past, the, the older generation, they were very serious and they were hypocritical. Sometimes we even think, and we want to be different, so let's be, be joyful. That's not the motivation, and it's not even true. Nor is it because we think it's better to just ignore sin, just focus on the happy things. Nor is it because we want to try fit in with, with the prevailing picture we have of, of those, the churches around us. But we are joyful because Jesus really died and rose again and is king in heaven. That's not a superficial joy that staff members need to create through through different melodies, but it's a joy that arises in our hearts because of what we know and what we believe concerning the marvelous gospel. So as a result, we should never conclude that this joy and its expression needs to be stifled or or moderated by some sort of unwritten rules of silence. For it is a joy that perfectly fits into the instruction that our Lord Jesus gave in the second commandment. How can we or, or, or why even should we hold back a fitting response of joy when we see the beautiful love of the eternal Father toward you, toward us, in His Son, Jesus Christ. So the psalms and the hymns are filled with those outbursts of, of amen, hallelujah, as God's people join together to shout aloud in joyful response to Jesus Christ's amazing work. We have nothing to be ashamed of. If we love God, we want to praise Him for His salvation. He is not dishonored when we cry out to Him with joy, when we sing His praises with voices that our neighbors can hear. Visitors can come and see the the joy in our hearts when we're singing. We can sing with smiles. We reflect on, on who our God is. Acceptable worship in Jesus Christ is joyful because it's also eternal, part of a a long plan. This passage we read in Hebrews 12 calls us to be grateful because in Christ we have received a kingdom that is unshakable. Verse 28. The writer to the Hebrews here is connecting the kingdom to the context of God's final judgment with a reference to Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. And he assures the church 
that because of her faith in Jesus Christ, nothing can hinder their ongoing worship of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you too will pass through the judgment day as an innocent child of the Most High God. That's the celebration of Revelation 5 that we were looking at this morning as well. Christ's blood is truly effective to speak a better word than the blood of Abel, as we read in verse 24. Though God is patient with those who hate him, and he only removes them after removes them completely after their false worship continues for three or four generations, like we read in the second commandment. He shows his steadfast love for a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And this means that our worship of God today is not just a game. It's not just another planned activity that, that we do. It's not something that depends on whose form and context, content depend on what we feel like putting together. Rather, our worship of God is the work of the Holy Spirit who restores us into this relationship with our Creator and King through God's Son and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Just as it was revealed in the second commandment. It's amazing to see how all the elements of a worship service today are are visible in every covenant meeting, every dialogue between God and His people, and and you can trace it. You can see the entrance into His presence, the confession of sin, the declaration of the gospel, and the response of faith with song and, and offering. You can see that in the Old Testament, the covenant meetings in the New Testament, in the age of the Spirit's ongoing work, and also according to Revelation in the glorious worship services in the heavens. Every Sunday again, we see it. We, we, are, we are doing it. We are, we are part of it. The Spirit is, is bringing us in to that beautiful, eternal worship. Having been called into His presence by His Spirit and Word and our preparation. And as we gather together in the entrance, we then find comfort in the forgiveness of our sins obtained through the blood of Christ's sacrifice. We confess our sins. We receive the declaration that your sins are completely forgiven. And then we hear God's promise of grace through the proclamation of the Word, that gospel comfort so that we can celebrate the new life that we have as members of Christ's body. We get to Hebrews 12, that therefore you have become, you have more in Christ. Or within these major movements of biblical worship that glorifies God, you will see healthy varieties in different times and in different places in, in the world. But since God is God and we are not always, and, and we are and always will be His people, that basic order, that basic tone, the, the content of Christian worship will remain the same until our Lord Jesus appears again. What we do today in our worship 
albeit hindered by our own sins and weakness, but what we are doing gives us a foretaste of a relationship with the triune God that will continue forever. And the consequences of this faith mean that we can be real before the Lord in our worship. We can see that we're coming into His presence, first of all. Sometimes we get distracted. We think we're coming into the presence of the people around us, and we really worry about that. But we can be real. We can come here as we are before the Holy God. And the only rules for our worship are that we act as anyone should when they stand in a peaceful relationship with their sovereign Creator, In Jesus Christ, we truly are God's children. We truly do have peace with him forever. He truly has washed us completely clean. And we read in Isaiah, he's made us whiter than snow in his sight. We have God himself within us, the Holy Spirit within us. We're temples. There is nothing that hinders any one of us here today from spending eternity with our Father in heaven. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. We are truly united by this one Spirit. Not just us here together, but Christians all over the world. Do you see what God calls you to every Sunday? Not a burden to come here. When you invite someone to join us In worship, do you understand what you are inviting them to? And how do you represent this this congregation to people around you? Do you treat this place as another Mount Sinai full of condemnation? Or are you inviting people to enter the holiness of Mount Zion through the living way in Christ? that leads to the eternal joy of forgiveness, celebration. You see, God isn't calling us to comfortable boredom for a few hours every day of rest, but He's calling you to the greatest, the longest, the most universal, including angels, celebration of the resurrection victory of our eternal King, Jesus Christ, And he extends this invitation to all believers and their children without paying any attention to your wealth or your social standing or your gender or your nationality or any other barrier that people tend to set up. When we say come, we are not just inviting someone to try the flavor of a Canadian Reformed church. Not even a Reformed church or a Protestant church, but but we are inviting them to join the assembly of God's elect whose names are enrolled in heaven together with the angels in the festal gathering to bow before the holy creator of heaven and earth in reverence and to rejoice in him whether they are in this life, wherever they are in this life, with their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. So in the commandment, the Lord has revealed what He wants us, that He wants us to worship Him 
according to his word. He wants us to be taught by the living preaching of this word. He wants us to rejoice in his son, Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful commandment. A wonderful commandment to obey. The Holy Spirit helps us to see how much we want to do that. It's a true privilege to see how Christ Jesus carries us into that acceptable worship. It's reverent, it's joyful, and eternal. Praise be to his glorious name. Amen.